Hey everyone, Luke here from Metal Hammer, introducing you to episode four of Metal Hammer Meets, our somewhat sporadic series in which we interview some of the biggest names in rock and metal. And this week I am joined by Tom Morello, the guy you will definitely know from Rage Against the Machine, Prophets of Rage, Audio Slave, The Night Watchman, and now his new uh, project, The Atlas Underground. It's a record which he's created with an amazing array of guests, including Steve Aoki, Vic Mensa, Killer Mike, and members of Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, the album's out October 12th, uh, next week, so we talk about that. We talk about the legacy of Killing in the Name, talk about the influence of British punk on a young Tom Morello, and a lot, lot more. And you can listen to that interview right now. Right, so we're here in a very uh, swanky hotel in uh, West London. I was just curious, what does the UK mean to you, uh, personally? Uh, well, the UK is the first place uh, that's Rage Against the Machine had any success. And, uh, you know, from the killing in the name in 1992 to when it became the number one pop song in your country in uh, Christmas of 2009, 2009, uh, it's always meant quite a lot. The fans here have been great to every incarnation. I've been here with Audio Slave and the Night Watchman and Prophets of Rage and uh, Bruce Springsteen. And it's, uh, it's always one of my favorite places to play. And I'm glad to be back here uh, with my Atlas Underground record. So obviously the 70s punk scene I think had a big influence on you growing up. Like how did you know, music that was rebelling against what was happening in the UK translate over, you know, over the pond to you? Yeah, yeah. It had a, the, the, the reason why I play guitar is because of the Sex Pistols. Like I had a guitar, but I couldn't approximate what Led Zeppelin was doing or anything like that. And when I got the Sex Pistols cassette, I was literally in a band within 24 hours. I didn't know how to play a chord on the guitar, but I went to high school and I said a band is forming now <laughs> raise your hand if you want to be in it I've got I'm the guitar player because I have a guitar you know a couple other people raise their hands and and, the, and a band was formed so and why and why did it connect I mean it connected in a way I think for two reasons one is because it three it was accessible like I could play music like that right away I didn't have to have a you know, a, a castle on a Scottish lock and a $10,000 Gibson Les Paul in order to play that. Uh, and it also was about things that I could relate to. I could never really relate to sort of the groupies and devil stuff in metal. Um, and thirdly, it also had some of the rock star trappings that I was... You know, like with the Sex Pistols and the Clash, they looked in the mirror before they went on stage. You know, <laughs> like, they, like in the same way that you know Kiss looked in the mirror before they went on stage. And and to me, I was like, okay, it, it's it's it has like the excitement of like a rock and roll band, sort of more traditional rock and roll band, but it's about different stuff, and I can play it. Do you remember the first time you heard the Clash? Because obviously, they're probably. The Pistols were probably the bigger, maybe, but The Clash were probably better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the Clash were my, are my favorite band of all time. I definitely remember some kid brought in the, uh, I think it was the London Calling record to, to school, and it has, you know, the picture of the bass player smashing the bass. So I thought it was a metal record. I was sure it looked metal. So I'm like, oh, that looks awesome. It's metal. He said, it's not exactly metal. And I asked if I could borrow it. So I brought it home, listened to it, and couldn't believe that there was, I, I was already a political person at like 16 and 17 years old, and... And it was the first time where I heard a band singing, a, you know, both, it was a great, first of all, it was a great band. It wasn't just some dry college lecture. It was a great band that was singing about stuff in the world that seemed to matter in a way that made much of my record collection feel a little less significant, uh, you know, on that day. So I, I, bootle I dubbed 
the thing. I'm sorry, you know, living members of the Clash, but I've, I've dubbed it <laughs> on cassette. And, uh, you know, and it, it transformed me. I wrote... I wrote my first song shortly thereafter. It was called Salvador Death Squad Blues. There you go. It's a scoop. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that song name. You should resurrect, resurrect it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might. I might play it tonight. So you said you were politicized you know, before you heard punk. Like, how did it actually feel then when, you, when someone said, you, know, you heard Anarchy in the UK or you heard London Calling, you heard these songs and you're like, wow, this is about the UK, but it's speaking yeah. to me as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it just felt very liberating. It was because it was both the both the the form and the content. Like the form was was it was raw and it was aggressive. It sounded as kick ass as any of my metal jams that I liked. But it felt you know even more urgent. And then it was pissed off in a way that you know I love and I love my I loved Kiss and Ted Nugent and all that. But I just couldn't re really relate. They were painting these fantasies that were maybe their real lives. But I had a basement, you know, in suburban Illinois and a $50 guitar and a little music man. I'll tell you. This. So I saw The Clash play at Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. And Joe Strummer had exactly the same amplifier, the little Music Man amp, and it was on a chair on stage at the Aragon, like mine was on a chair in my mom's basement. And the wall just came down. I thought, like, it's not like I can do this one day. I'm doing it right now. He's doing it. We're all just doing it. And, and, and it was, like, so liberating. It's like I'm, it wasn't something to one day aspire to be. It was like I'm a songwriter. I'm a musician. I'm a, I'm a performer, just like my favorite band. That was... That was the revelation. I think that was probably the barrier in the, say, 70s and 80s between metal and, sure. and the audience was like, look at us, we're on stage, yes. we're titans, whereas punk was just like, we're your mates. Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. I never, you know, and, and I, like, m when my friends discovered punk, they abandoned metal. I never did. I was always, you know, I was a fan of Motley Crue at the same time I was a fan of The Clash. And while I recognized that there was, they, they were different, I still love, like, my, when I was practicing eight hours a day, I wasn't practicing to be a better punk rock guitar player, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, I was practicing to get my, you know, Steve Vai, Randy Rhodes chops together because I loved that, and it felt like, you know, musicianship could also, like, I, I felt that I could not sacrifice my sort of punk rock ethos, but at the same time be able to play. So punk came from, I think, a reaction to obviously what was happening in society and the commercialization of rock music and everything else. And you could argue that now it's even more fractured as a society. Like, do you think we'll see a sudden swell of bands again, you know, raging against the machine? Well, we'll find out. I mean, this this Atlas Underground record that I've made is a, you know, it's a it's a sonic conspiracy. It's a collaborative record with artists of diverse genres, diverse ethnicities, diverse ages, uh, and diverse genders um, who have come together to make this so powerful sonic whole, which is part Marshall Stack Fury and part huge EDM drops. And so the idea of this record was to make a statement with just who was on it and what it was uh, in a time that is very divisive politically and musically and w whatever is to have something that sort of stood as something that was in stark contrast to that. So what was the idea, obviously that was the idea behind the record, but when did, when did it start to take shape? Like who, yeah. what was the first meeting you had with someone to go, yeah, shall yeah. we jam? Yeah, it was, it actually, I, the idea for this began before Prophets of Rage was even formed in 2016. I've been working on this, you know, in secret for some time. Um, and I wanted to 
to really push myself as a guitarist first and as an artist and not make the same record that I had made before. Um, I've, I've incorporated elements of hip-hop and EDM in my guitar playing, and what I wanted to do was take, you know, to work with artists like Bass Nectar, Knife Party, um, uh, Pretty Lights, Steve Aoki, all of whom are huge Rage fans, by the way. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Um, and you can hear it if you listen. And then... and replace some of their synthesizers with my Marshall stack. And the idea is to create like a brand new alloy. In the same way that Rage combined like metal and hip-hop and punk rock in a way that those genres hadn't linked arms, you know, uh, uh, successfully, you know, before, or at least on a, in a album or a band scale, is to do the same, to do the same now in a way that is unapologetically rock and roll, unapologetically has my big, heavy metal, r big riffs and the crazy guitar noises, but to, you know, in the same way that, like, Hendrix was in a way a Trojan horse, is that he took this otherworldly guitar ideas and he put them on the radio. You know, that was, there wasn't, like, you know, there were nice Beatles songs and solos on the radio and nice Bob, thoughtful Bob Dylan songs. And then dude came out and burned the place to the fucking ground. You know what I mean? Like, but, but he didn't just burn the ground. He burned the ground because he was on the radio. You know what I mean? Like Foxy Lady and Wind Cries Mary. Um, and so the idea is to, you know, when you're collaborating with Portugal the Man and with Marcus Mumford, who I admire very much, but those songs have devastating guitar solos in them as well. So the idea is, you know, in an, in an age where there are not a lot of young people flocking to play the electric guitar, they're flocking to their laptop and Ableton, you know, uh, to be DJs, I want to turn the tables on that. So do you think this is a way of, because obviously the people you're working with are probably way more radio friendly than Prophets of Rage are like sure. and is this a way of I don't know like, can I say connecting with the younger people then and it is sort of like saying hey guys we yeah. listen to this yeah, yeah, yeah. We, and, I mean I know that it's not that it's not quite that, that that crass but it's certainly it's artists that I admire you know current artists that I admire that are like minded um, and we're making music that is both for the mosh pit and for the dance floor that does something that a lot of mosh pits and dance floors don't do which is there's a lyrical um uh, depth to it that you don't always find. The the underlying theme of the record is social justice ghost stories, and the idea that the heroes and martyrs and those murders un murdered unjustly in the past, whether it's African Americans killed by the police, you know, uh, Mexicans crossing the desert in the United States, they're given voice in these songs in a way to to uh, uh, inform the struggles of the present and maybe light a beacon towards a more just planet. Because there are so many guest vocalists, or I guess musicians on there, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. I think only two of them, I guess, you classify as rock musicians as well. I think it's like Tim from Rise Against sure. and, and Marcus Mumford, and I guess yeah. the rest of it's... Gary Clark Jr. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, how did you pick the certain... Well, who, did they come to yeah. you, or did you pick yeah, up yeah, yeah, the yeah. people? Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, the, the one sort of uh, constant, you know... Um, rock musician on the record is me yeah. you know so that's 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 present in every <laughs> yeah. very present in every track so that's that we, those bases are covered we're not we, <laughs> they're well covered um you know and, and some it was like wu-tang clan and i have we've you know known each other for some time so riz and jizz are our old friends um to you know marcus and i who, who are rock dads and also enjoy sharing a whiskey in the east village from time to time too um so we've known each other for a bit but some were artists that i had never i did like i didn't know knife party i didn't know bass nectar i heard in their music uh kinship 
to some rage and audio slave stuff, and it turns out that I was, you know, accurate in that, that those were some of the underlying influences. Um, but I reached out to them. I said, like, what do you think of this idea of like making something new, like taking my riffs and combining it with your wizardry and seeing what can happen? It is sort of like a dream come true in a way. Like if someone told me ten years ago that. You know, members of Rage Against Machine and Wu Tang Clan were working together. You'd be like, "What?" Yes, like, exactly. you'd be like, "Thank you, <laughs> thank you for that." Well, you've got it. It's happening. It's right here. It's upon you. How do you see yourself touring this record, though? Yeah. Because there are so yeah. many yeah. guest voices. Yeah. 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 Uh, we, I will be touring in 2019, and the challenge was, you know, there's you can't expect all, however, 20 collaborators uh, to be at every show. And so looking at it in a, in a very non-traditional way, Sean Evans, who uh, is the artistic director for um, Roger Waters, for The Wall and for the Us and Them tour, and I are working together to put together a something that's part rock show, part, like, installation in a way that's a very sort of non-traditional night of music that will rock you and surprise you. <laughs> so the people that are involved are also very, you know, I guess current for lack of a better word. Like, do you consider yourself as still having like your ear to the ground and knowing what's happening? Because a lot of people in rock bands as they get older stop really listening <laughs> right 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 well I'm, I'm i'm raising two kids as well so that that i i used to hear some music through them but uh um in, in making this record i went out of my way to sort of see what it is that i love among the newer crop of you know like vic mensa for example he is in my be like he is the next the current generation of revolutionary rapper, you know, like he's the rage against the machine of now. Like I saw him play at Lollapalooza a couple of years ago and he was just like, it felt like an important political moment in the history of Chicago, what he did on stage. Uh, and he has the charisma and the, no, he's amazing too. Like as a vocalist, he doesn't write anything down. So we were working on the song and the only lyrical direction that I gave him was said, make a song that you can stand your ground to. He was like, all right. So then, you know, talking, he goes outside, he's having a cigarette. And I'm thinking, we're wasting a lot of time here. Shouldn't we be <laughs> working on the song some more? And he's like sort of on the phone. He's in outside. And then he comes into the vocal booth. He just written it in his head. He's written the whole song in his head. That's I couldn't believe it. And he went in and he went in and he just late. I'm like, well, I guess we weren't wasting time. <laughs> I guess we were doing all the right things there. Because it sounded fucking great. <laughs> you're sat there for months crafting away yeah, yeah, exactly 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 and i'll give you another like the gary clark jr song that we, we we had a traditional like blues rock jam three hours in my studio just recorded the whole thing Amazing. great time sort of throwing back and forth licks and ideas and riffs and you know i'd write down some lyrics he'd go in the, the vocal booth sing some stuff and then he went away and then took this three i took this three hours and found the and found the pieces that made that song and then gave it to Nico Stadi to, you know, sort of add some production elements. And then I played it back for Gary and he like, he's like, is this what we did the other night? I was like, it's based on what we did the other night. <laughs> but I brought it into the world of the Atlas Underground. He's like, that's dope, man. Like it's, it's, um, there were a lot of unexpected twists and turns and it wasn't just about, you know, just challenging myself, but for the artist was challenging each other. You've been in many bands throughout your career like do you always consider yourself as having the sort of the same like the same role in each one as like as like the the song crafter i guess mm -hmm. very <coughs> you know there's there's two different actually sort of three one is when you're in a band that's a uh, uh, democracy, where everybody uh, like with rage and with 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 audio, so everyone has different roles in that. Like you know, I'm a little bit more like 
it's time to rehearse now, guy. You know, like, and, you know, and other people are more like, and here's a great, you know, big picture idea. Um, but the, the what you get out of uh, uh, a band when it's good is is the chemistry is what makes it good. Is it is it together you're creating something that none of you could alone, and a very unique thing based on the vectors of your different talents to make something that is very very unique to those f four or however many ingredients. Um, when you do solo stuff, you get purity. And that's a, you know, it's a difference between, it's a difference between like the Stones and Dylan. Like you get purity with a vision and, you know, with my, whether it's with my Night Watchman records or in curating this record that I was able to kind of like hone something like this is exactly what I really want to say. This is exactly what I really want it to sound like. Um, and, and this, I kind of get the best of both worlds because I get the collaborative elements and the chemistry with a variety of musicians, and yet I get to kind of steer the ship. So if we go back to uh, the UK we mentioned earlier, and you briefly mentioned the uh, killing of the name getting to number sure. one, yeah. uh, which is, I think, probably what has put you on the map again over here. I think there was people out there buying the record who probably probably never even heard of you of before. It, it was just... Yeah, the, we hate the X Factor type. Yeah, right. so, like, how does it feel? Because that was almost ten years ago. Like, how does it feel, sort of looking back on that now, saying that was crazy that yeah that even happened? It was the. I mean, I will. With it was the highlight of Rage Against the Machine. Like playing the Finsbury Victory concert was my favorite night in Rage Against the Machine, like ever. And in part, it was because, or mostly because the band didn't have anything to do with it. It was a really, a, it was kind of a manifestation of what Rage Against the Machine is about. You know, like it was the people rose up and in something that you could consider, you know, trivial, like they made one song, the Christmas number one, rather than another song. But at the core of it was by banding together, they, they defeated an empire. You know, <laughs> like they did. They defeated an empire. And there's a lesson in that. It's like by banding together, perhaps we can defeat empires. Yeah, the, the person who won that year, I think, has never been heard of again. <laughs> I felt I felt a little bad for him. Like he was, he was kind of caught in the crossfire there. <laughs> like a, did you go to the show, the Finsbury show? No, I went to the download show, oh, yeah. which I think was like two yeah, days yeah, later. Yeah, 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 two days later. Yeah, yeah. So we had to find a way to pay for because we promised that if we if we won, we would do a free concert for Britain, yeah. and. Then when, you know, it came true, we looked at, like, the costs of doing, like, it's not inexpensive. <laughs> like, even you have to buy every porta potty in the, <laughs> so we played a bunch of shows around to you know, underwrite it. Yeah, it was worth it. <laughs> it was absolutely worth it, dude. It was the best. So, is it, I guess, a bit of a weird sense of, so, I guess, pride, but maybe even also sadness that it's probably still the biggest protest song of the past 26 years? <laughs> I don't know that there's any sadness. I mean, it's it was very, it was written in the most hum humble of circumstances you know um and that it is you know from there's nowhere there's nowhere on the planet where that isn't you know when that comes on it doesn't affect people in a in a certain way which is lovely to see and i never would have expected when i came up with that riff i was actually giving a guitar lesson when i came up with the with the boom doo -doo, check the banana and i uh, was teaching somebody how to turn down tune down the drop d and i just happened, just that riff just occurred. I recorded it on a little cassette recorder, brought it to um, rehearsal the next day. And for a while, the music of Killing in the Name, it didn't have a name yet, but the music of Killing in the Name was like the intro to our set. So we would play that like before the first song of the set. That's cool. Yeah. So <laughs> does it still feel the same now then, 
like playing it live or is it like when Zeppelin plays Stairway it's just like oh here we go again (laughs) (laughs) well Killing is a lot briefer than Stairway to Heaven so you're kind of in and you're out Um, but no it's just like I I never stop appreciating what that song you know means to people and the energy like the the electricity when that the tension pulls back during that particular part of the song and then and then releases it it feels you know like you know, like we're all living our best lives. <laughs> I only saw Rage once, but I saw Prophets of Rage two or three times oh, now, right. I think. And and every time, yeah, you went into that song, everyone still kicked off. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. was it's still unreal. How is it weird then? Do you think seeing basically the first song you released? I think it's yeah, about it's just, just going. Yep, that's still our biggest one. <laughs> like, uh, is it? An, is it? Is a bit annoyance. Like, why aren't you? Why aren't you losing it to our twenty seventeen single? No, 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 no. First of all, there's been the fact that there's been twenty seven singles. I'm very you know, feel blessed about you know. And uh, you know, it's and that those are it's a, it's an unpredictable thing. But I remember our sound man at the time when Killing the Name came out. We were an absolutely unknown band, opening up for Suicidal Tendencies here in 1992. And I heard it at a at a club, and he said, you know, like you may go on to write greater songs and more nuanced songs, but people are going to remember this one for a long time. And I, at the time, I didn't believe him, and yet here we are. You know. People live a good swear. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do. That song delivers a good. So obviously it's a protest song. Uh, it's called, like, do you still go out protesting in the streets? Are you still on the floor? I do, I do. I mean, um, while, while fatherhood sometimes puts a dent in, you, know, you, have to, you have to negotiate little league coaching responsibilities with you know, throwing Molotovs at the barricades. Um, but yeah, it's, it's never, you know, there's never not a time to be involved in the struggles of the day. So, as someone who's probably you know, close you know, to sort of grassroots political movements, like, do you think, but I guess well, from an American perspective, there is, some, there is change in the air. Does it feel like something is about yeah. to happen? Well, I mean, the, 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 the only silver lining of the Trump regime is that it has so motivated people who really feel that, you know, like the planet is in danger, which is a literal truth. And that hopefully from, the, um, from this disaster, a movement can arise that really does forge a more just decent and humane America and you know beyond that the globe because like time the clock is literally ticking like there's a racism is a problem police murders of African Americans is a problem uh, economic inequality is a problem but the planet is in danger like the like the organized human activity will be threatened in the not too distant future um, if we don't uh, start doing the right thing and and the Trump administration is doing exactly the wrong thing for short-term gain and uh, so nobody's going to stop them except for us. How do you feel about the argument that a that bad situations deliver the best art? Best art. Well, yeah, I mean bad presidents make for great rock and roll. I mean that's a, that is a, or, or prime ministers or whatever, you know, we had some gr- Thatcher really gave us a lot of great tunes, some of the best <laughs> rock and roll ever made. Um, but yeah, that's the. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I wouldn't say it's uh, limited to art, but but during you know troubled times, you know, demand uh, or dangerous times demand dangerous songs, and uh, we are living in some dangerous times right now. And that's you know one of the reasons why that's why Prophets of Rage form. It's why I've made this Atlas Underground record because like I weave my convictions and my beliefs into what it is that I do, and I'm stuck being a guitar player, so that's how I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm stuck being. <laughs> So what was the last song you heard then that you sort of, you think stirred you in a way that you know, people may have been reacted to Rage? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I, there's a song by Grandson uh, called uh, uh, 
Blood in the Water, which I think is really great. It's a very, it's a heavy, I just did a remix of it. I liked it so much. Uh, it's a really great song that's both sort of lyrically and musically kicks my ass. Also, uh, Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, it's not a new song, but it's it's off, the, I think, maybe the first record called Juggernaut, which is a just, I don't, I don't know what that's about, but I believe every word he's saying. Yeah, you see, he came out and guested with you, I think, at a festival. Been acquainted for a while. He opened up for Rage. We did some like stadium in Italy back in the day, and he managed to make every single Italian fan hate him, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite a feat because they're you know lovely people. But he got them all like everyone's. Then I was like, that guy's pretty, pretty punk rock. <laughs> so you're there trying to get everyone united together. Like, yeah, come on, guys! Yeah, and they were united. They were united, all right. <laughs> against him and we were cheering him on from the side <laughs> so one thing i think that maybe gets overlooked in your musical career is that you were a member of the e street band for for many many years which is sure. what do you think springsteen saw in you to sort of you know, it's quite you know, an acclaimed position to be in yeah 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 uh well we'd been you know friends for years before we ever played together and uh you know he uh he had been a, you know my seen my night watchman shows and uh you know, I jammed with them. We did the version of the Ghost of Tom Joe that kind of, kind of rocked the house uh, uh, more than one time. And then when Little Steven was away doing his TV show Lilyhammer, Bruce asked me to play with the band. And while we were out touring Australia, we made a record. You know, I think he was sort of inspired by the whatever that particular chemistry was of the band. Um, you know, down there, and uh, it was for me just a. You know, I'm, I'm not a casual fan. I'm a huge fan of Bruce yeah. Springsteen. To be able to stand on stage and watch him work and watch how he does it, and I would always give my, you know, the sets are three and like, I, I would t tell him you know, he liked the fact that I was exhausted after a Bruce Springsteen show. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, well, it's a different guy. Like I'm like with a, with a, with a Rage show, I'm I'm cardio vascularly exhausted with a Springsteen show I'm like orthopedically exhausted I've been standing for four and a half hours you know in these in my militant punk rock boots uh my no sellout boots um but it was just great to see him and his commitment to excellence and awesomeness and I would give myself maybe about 25 seconds during the four-hour show and just stand there and just look you know maybe during Born to Run just go trip out man <laughs> I'm playing Born to Run Spring, he's playing Born to Run. We're all playing Born to Run together. Pretty crazy. That is Pretty crazy. Yeah. It's super mental. So, what, what is the future for you then in terms of you've there was a, like everyone thought a new Poverty to Rage album yeah. was coming, which yeah. I'm guessing it is because there was a new single yeah. and now you've got a, a new solo album. Like, sure, sure, so, sure. What's, sure. what's going on? The way that I look at it is that, you know, Prophets of Rage is like the uh, the Avengers, you know, like we come together and we're like the national team, you know, and then we go to our club team. So, uh, you know, there's a great new Cypress Hill record out, Elephants on Ass, I think that's coming out any day now. I've got this and, you know, I'm going to, and uh, there will be a new, uh, new Prophets of Rage record and, uh, you know, and then I'll be touring uh, Atlas Underground in 2019. So, with everything that's going on uh, in your musical life and everything that's happening in the world, like, do you, are you happy? I'm too busy to be happy or unhappy. Like it's, <laughs> if I had a time to pause long enough, I mean, it, it's very, it's, it's very fulfilling to be able to, you know, make music for a living and to, you know, I spend, I, you know, I, if, it, I used to self-identify as a, you know, a radical 
political electric guitarist. Now I self-identify as a little league coach who is also a radical political electric guitarist, and you know, really prioritizing you know my kids while at the same time not letting up the pedal on either my art or my politics. So how do your kids feel about having such a yeah a punk rock dad? They don't you know they they're utterly unimpressed by the whole thing, which is what they're supposed to be, you know? <laughs> they don't have any, they have no interest in going to a show. They kind of, like, I never played them my music. I played them, you know, they're fans of both Metallica and Cardi B. They have a pretty broad, broad range of, of music that they like. And, and then one day, uh, we were going to school and Sleep Now on the Fire just came on the radio. With the no, they don't know that it has anything to do with me, you know, and I, you know, I kind of turned it up just a little bit without, without, you know, and then at the end of it, I, I as my, hey, what'd you guys think of that song? And my oldest goes, at the time he was like six, he goes, that was good. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't say a word. I went back, like, all right, all right, cool, cool, cool. cool. <laughs> now they have some idea what, what it is, but I, yeah. I don't push it at all. So what is there then that you'd, that you'd like to do? Not necessarily just sort of play bigger venues or whatever else. Is there, is there anything that's sort of left in your you know, idea bank? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's always pushing myself. Like I love, I love electric guitar. I love rock and roll music. I love challenging myself as a musician, as an artist, and I love combining my ideas with the music and art that I make. And that's that is an endless spectrum of, of possibilities there. And that can be, I'm you know, I've already begun the next record in sort of the Atlas Underground world, and I got about half of that done. Um, you know, and then touring in 2019. I'm really looking forward to what this show is going to be and how. You know, to the way looking at it like the glass is half full, and we're not going to have Wu Tang and Mumford and Rise Against all on stage at every show, but in ways that that are just challenging, like what different ways of making a performance. One of the one of the things I've loved about watching these Roger Waters shows over the course of the last couple of years is, you know, like you get this most recent one. There's probably 30 different ideas that I've never seen in a rock and roll show that happen on stage. And while we don't have a Roger Waters budget necessarily. Um, I have more than 30 ideas, you know, so, <laughs> so we're going to figure that out and it's going to be pretty exciting. And also, and also like the idea of doing a tour, like I've done a lot of tours where I play electric guitar, but doing a tour where the, I just played a couple shows in South America where it was 70% instrumental. So it's just 70% going for fucking broke. And there was something about that that I've never done and incorporating elements of that with some of the political notions with sort of non-traditional show. That's exciting for me for 2019. So you could be the Roger Waters of metal. You know? well, oh, he's kind of the Roger Waters of metal. Though. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. And that was Tom Morello. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget his Atlas Underground album is out October 12th via BMG. Uh, there should be another episode of Metal Hammer Meets coming very soon, so stay tuned for that. And if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast, or your listening place of choice. Cheers. <laughs>